Look at that. All right. James chapter 4. Let's get into the good stuff. Last week, Pastor Sean talked about uh, friendship with the world, that we think we're blending again, but we're really not. If Christ has saved us, and he wore that gross orange shirt, um, and um, basically it was a great illustration of how we're to be in the world, but not of the world, um, and not be friends with the world. And so it was warning against worldliness. Remember, James is a pastor. He was a pastor. He was the first pastor of the early church of Jerusalem. And so he was the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing this to Christians in churches. And it's important to understand this because he's writing it from a pastor's perspective of how does the gospel intersect our lives or how are we supposed to live in this practical Christian living. And so as we read the book of James and as we go through it, there's this pastoral heart that he has. And so he's like, don't get caught up into the world. And then he transitions, he uses verse 6 and 7 to transition into this idea of humility of living in humility. And uh, so let's read James chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Every time we see the word therefore, we ask, what's it there for? We look at the verse before, and we see, but he gives more grace. This is verse 6, James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace, therefore, it says, well, what's the therefore again? Well, the therefore is not being friends with the world, as Pastor Sean spoke last week. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another. Brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are a doer of the law but not but a judge. Um, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it is you, and it is you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you that it's truth, and we thank you that we can live our lives according to it. When we live our lives according to it, Father, you conform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We know that's done only through the power of your Holy Spirit, and so we ask, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would take your word like a sharp and powerful double-edged sword and use it to divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. Lord, let this word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Let this word, Father, be our truth, 
the only truth, your truth. For you said in your word in John 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And so, Lord God, your word is truth. And God, help us to submit ourselves to your truth, to your word, and all that you have for us, Lord. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. If you're taking notes, pull them out. It's, um, the title of this message is called uh, Authentic. Everyone wants to be God, but no one wants to be Jesus. And it's not because I have an issue with the Trinity or anything like that. In fact, it's this idea that when you think about God, there's no higher thought than God. There's no one better than God. There's no one who deserves all praise, honor, and glory than God. There's nobody who we should think of, worship, adore, give everything to but God. And in the Christian life, it is God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise again from the grave. And this idea of everyone wants to be God is this idea that we all want to be acknowledged and adored and worshipped and seen and be made much of, unless you're an extreme introvert. And in that case, you want to be like God in the sense of that you want to get your way and do what you want to do and have all the knowledge and have all the power and have all of those things. That's, that's what we're talking about in regards to everybody wants to be God. And when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about someone who found his way through suffering. It wasn't about his comforts. It wasn't about his blessings. It wasn't about what he could get. It was about being obedient to the Father and doing what the Father wanted. And when you look at the Gospel of John, 41 times Jesus says, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of him who sent me, John 6, 38. He, he didn't, I didn't come to speak my own message in John 7. I came to speak the words of God, and though he's the one who sent me. And so you have Jesus who's living a life of submission to God. And as living a life of submission, once he died on the cross and then rose again from the grave, God exalted him. And we all want the exalted Jesus. We don't want the, 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 the suffering servant Jesus. So therefore, when I say everybody wants to be God and no one wants to be Jesus, what you're talking, what I'm talking about is this idea that everyone wants to be adored and fond offer and be able to do what they want to do, but no one wants to serve. No one wants to submit. No one wants to subjugate themselves to God and do what God wants, to say what he wants, to be about his mission, to be about his desires, and to be about his goals. So everybody wants to be God. Nobody wants to be Jesus. Psalm 148, 13, when you think about God, it says, let them praise the Lord, the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above heaven and earth. Isaiah 40 says that God, that, that all flesh is grass, that the, the universe is measured by the span of his hand. What's the span of his hand? It's from his, his pinky to his thumb. When you think about all the majesty of God, everybody wants to be adored and acknowledged like God. But no one wants to take the way of the cross. No one wants to, as Paul says, die daily to follow Christ. Nobody wants to pour out their life as a drink offering 
Everybody wants to be acknowledged and admonished. Everybody wants to be seen or somehow be in control or be in charge. Nobody wants to submit and to serve. That's the way of Christ. That's the example we're to live. And through that example, Christ now is exalted, sitting at the right hand of God to where the Bible says at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 41 times in the Gospel of John, you see that Jesus says, I didn't come to say this, but I came to do what the Father wanted me to do. I did my own thing. And so when you think back, all the way back into the Garden of Eden, remember the serpent comes along? Well, who was in the serpent? It was Satan. And what was Satan's issue? Well, in Isaiah chapter 14, we get a picture of Satan saying to all the angels that he's going to place his throne in Isaiah 14, 13, you have said in my, your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. So you have Satan basically saying, I'm going to be better than God. I'm going to be greater than God. I'm going to put my throne above God. He wanted to be God. What was, the, what was the temptation in the garden then? Now, back into the garden, Adam and Eve standing there. They're over by the tree. Satan comes over. Did God not say? Did God not say that you would be like who? You would be like, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. And Adam and Eve go, yeah, we want that because everybody wants to be God. Nobody wants to be Jesus. And so what did they do? They ate the fruit, sin entered into the world, and from then on, our lives were twisted and broken, and we became spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we're dead in our trespasses. And Adam and Eve at that point realized they were naked, and they were trying to cover themselves up, and they couldn't do anything about it. And God killed an animal and covered them with the skins temporarily until Christ came. And so then... All because of that, all of humanity then wants to be like God. All through the scripture, you see people looking and thwarting the plans of God so that they could do their own thing, do what they want to do. You see Nebuchadnezzar who looks out over his kingdom and he said, I did all this. I deserve all the glory. I'm the God of gods. And all of a sudden, God struck him down in Daniel chapter 4. And God drove him out from the palace. And for seven years, it says that he ate grass like an oxen. And he was wet from the dew of heaven. And when that time passed, look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 25. It says, till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Even Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king of all time, God put in his place. Because why? He thought he was God. He thought he was above God. He thought he was his own God. And all of a sudden, you look at that. Simon the sorcerer, I want the power that you have, Peter. I want to be able to do what you do. Because everybody wants to be God. Nobody wants to be Jesus. Jesus submitted. God's all-powerful. I'd rather be all-powerful. Jesus was a servant Everybody's to worship and acknowledge God. What do we do every Sunday morning? We sing praises to God. The word hallelujah means praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Yahweh, yah. Praise the Lord. We sing songs to the Lord. Everybody wants to be fond over. 
My, my wife was in Israel for two, weeks, for two weeks with my son, Will, and they just got back, and my son, um, seven-year-old son, says, Dad, as we're picking, we picked her up from the, the airport, and we're driving home yesterday, and he goes, Dad, you're okay, but I really love Mommy. She's better. And I said, I really love Mommy, too, and I think she's better, too. But it's that idea of my wife that, you know, she was very appreciative of that and she was blessed because of that. But the reality is, is that, that, that we all want that. We like that. We like somehow to be in charge or be in control or to have power. That's God. Jesus gave up all power and authority and he submitted himself to God. And because of that, God exalted him. Because of that, God now, Christ is now the hero of the story. Because of that, Christ is now the greatest thought. But that's not how he lived. We're to live now as Christ lived on earth. In fact, Romans chapter 8 says that God is going to conform us. Romans 8, 29, he's going to conform us into the image of not God, but the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We're not to be conformed in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. But because of sin, it's all twisted. But we're to be conformed, what now? Into the image of Christ. Because now everybody wants to be God, but no one wants to be Jesus. And so the writer here in James is writing. And in Genesis chapter 14, 8, when we think about God, for you are the Lord most high over all the earth. You are exalted above all gods. The only response that we can have the only response that we can have is to be Christo, Christocentric, not egocentric. We all think that our means of getting to God is by being theocentric. No, we're to be Christocentric so that we can be theocentric. It's only through Christ, John 14, 6. So we use our ego. Our ego has to die so that we can be Christo, not Theo. Okay? Theo meaning theology or God, the study of God. Christo, Christ. Ego, me, self. Being egocentric has to die so that we can be everything that God wants to do and through us. Have you ever thought, why doesn't God use me? Why isn't God using me? Man, God, I'm right here. I'm ready. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Will you? Okay. I'll, I, I'm there. I, I'm here, God. I, I'm here. I just want to do great things for you. So, like, give me the platform so I can have a church of 10,000 and, and I'll, I'll proclaim Jesus and, and give me millions of dollars and cars. And, and there's this sense of that you want to be used of God in your way and you want to control those things. In James chapter 4, and let's get back into that, in James, verse 6, it says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you feel like that God is opposing you today, maybe it's because there's a lot of pride in your life. If you feel like God's standing in opposition to you, if you feel like everything you're doing as a Christian, you keep running into the wall and running into the wall, and you're like, why isn't it working for me? Maybe it's because you need to examine yourself and see the pride that's in there. Because the Bible says that God opposes the proud. He doesn't even just resist the proud. He opposes it. That means he's actively working against your pride. But he gives grace to the humble. 
He gives grace to the humble. The issue then is, what's the problem? Our ego. The great theologian Queen said, I want it all, and I want it now. Right? That's the way we want to live. We want to be in charge. We want everybody to look at us. And the reality is our ego has to die and not pursue the Theo, but to pursue the Christo. So how do we go from here? 41 times, Jesus. How do we follow Jesus' example? How do we become humble? How do we live the way that God has called us to live? If you're taking notes, pull out your notes right now and write this down. There's four truths about humility. There's four truths about humility I want you to see from the text. The first one is this. Humility comes from God's grace. But he gives, look at verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility comes from God's grace. And you could think that, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's, it's this favor. The way I use it with my kids are when my kids are not very smart and they're like wanting to stick their fingers in the light socket. And I'm like, if you do that again, if you try to do that again, I'm going to swatch you on the bottom. <laughs> and you know what's coming, and you know it. And they're looking, and they're looking, and that's not watching, and I'm going to stick my finger in the socket. And it, there's a reason that it's like, I don't understand. I had daughters and sons, and it's always the sons. They want to go. And, 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 man, what are you doing? What are you doing? What do you deserve? And then, I'm so sorry, Dad. I deserve a spanking. And then I look and I said, yes, yes, you deserve a spanking. And I'm so frustrated. And I said, what do you want? And they're like, I want mercy. Mercy. I teach, I teach them. Mercy means I deserve a spanking, but I don't get a spanking. That's what mercy means. But then I teach them this sometimes when I'm so beyond myself. And I'm like, okay, I got to do something, God. I really need your help and I got to get this. And this is what God does with us. They want mercy, but I say, get your shoes on. And I put them in the car, and we drive to the ice cream store, and I buy them ice cream. See, they deserve a spanking. They don't get a spanking. That's mercy. And then I buy them ice cream. That's grace. That's the unmerited favor. God just didn't forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but he gave us eternal life, and he gave us the promise of heaven. That's grace. And so... When we get grace, we should be humble about it. We should, be, we should be so in awe of who God is and what he did for us through Christ. Because of salvation, because of the Christian life. The only response is humility. Humility comes from God's grace. When we understand God's grace, we understand that we don't deserve this. But God gives it to us anyway. That he loved us. That he died on the cross for us. That he rose again from the grave. And he gave us his grace. And through salvation, we're saved by grace. Romans 2, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. When we look at grace, we recognize that humility comes from God's grace. It is not something that we go, well, I'm going to be humble now. In fact, have you ever read Exodus? It's, it's ironic because 
Moses is writing the scripture, and in the scripture, he writes, he wrote the first five books of the, 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 New, the Old Testament, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. One of the things that Moses has to write about himself, that he was the most humble man to ever live. Can you imagine writing that? Really, God? Really? I got to write this about myself? Thanks, God. But it's this concept and this idea that, hey, you know what? In, as a humble, as someone who is humble before the Lord, you will do what the Lord wants you to do. He will give you his grace to get through whatever you have to get through. So even though we want to be powerful, even though we want to be in charge, even though we want to be God, we choose Christ. Because God gives us his grace to be able to get through it. The grace of God is an amazing thing. Because he gives, the Bible says he gives more grace to those that are humble. Listen, I need God's grace every single day of my life. But the problem is, I love my sin and I love to be in charge. Everybody wants to be God. No one wants to be Jesus, right? And so the reality is, how do we, what does God's grace do for us? When we're humble through, that comes from God's grace, the text says that it gives us, it allows us to do some things. It allows us to to, to live this Christian life out. And James understood the importance of this. When you're living a humble life, what are the things you can do? Let's go through them together. On, the, uh, on your notes, the first one, you submit to God. You can submit to God. When you're humble, you can submit to God. You can recognize and see God for who he really is, and you can identify yourself for who you really are. And you can recognize that you can be the Pharisee or the tax collector. And the Pharisee prayed to himself... Look how good I am. And the tax collector went in the corner and beat his breast. Which one experienced the forgiveness of God? Which one experienced freedom from their sin? It was the one who submitted to God. It was the one who was humble. Second, we can resist the devil. It allows us, when we're living in humility, we can resist the devil. No longer can we use the excuse, the devil made me do it. It was the devil. It was the devil. No, it's not, it's not the devil. We can resist the devil if we're humble and we receive the grace of God. It doesn't say talk to the devil. It doesn't say fight the devil. It doesn't say preach to the devil. It says resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee. And that comes through a, a, a heart of humility. Let her see, draw close to God. It allows us to draw close to God, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil. So that you can draw near to God. You can draw close to God. When you're humble, when there's a humility, you can actually have an intimate relationship with God. The God of the universe. The God that created everything. You can have a relationship with him. What else? You can cleanse our actions. It cleanses our actions. It allows us to cleanse our actions. It's not that we are sorry for what we've done, but we've been cleansed for what we've done. It's like the way that my kids, my, my younger kids clean their room. They stuff everything in the dirty clothes in the closet and they close it and go, it's clean, we're ready to play. You walk in, it sure looks clean on the outside, but then you open the closet and you turn the, you turn the, the, uh, the uh, dirty clothes upside down, and it's, oh, those are all the clean clothes that were in there that were just folded, that were to be put in the drawers, but it was easier for them to put them in the pantry, I mean, in the laundry, in the laundry hamper. No, that's not clean. 
lot of us think that if we just have the right look on the outside, that we'll experience that forgiveness or experience that if I, if I look the part, if I do the right things. No, 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 no. If you're humble before the Lord and you ask the Lord to forgive you, you will, you will experience the cleansing that comes only from Christ and his work on the cross. You'll be forgiven. And you'll know that you're forgiven for everything that you've ever done, past, present, and future. But it cleanses our actions too. John 14, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abide in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. It allows us to purify our hearts, that our hearts are pure. It allows us to focus our thinking. What does it say? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When we're humble and we're living in the grace of God and understanding that our humility comes from God's grace, we can focus our thinking. We don't have to be double-minded anymore. And then he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom and humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He's talking about you can experience genuine repentance. And what is genuine repentance? It's not brokenness. It's not remorse. Repentance is something totally different. A lot of people feel, I feel bad for what I did. Okay, that's remorse. Repentance is something totally different. Repentance is motivated by God's holiness, forgiveness, and abundant kindness. In this book, Rescue Skills, it says, true repentance starts with recognition of the holiness of our God. When a sinner recognizes his sin in light of God's holiness, his heart and life begin to change. He sees that his sin is against God, first and foremost, and not others. People that are humble and, and experience repentance and, and live in genuine repentance, they're not, a, they're not afraid to name their sins. Let me give you an example. Like It's really easy for you to go, I'm a sinner. It's really hard for me to say, I'm a liar. It's really easy to say, I have struggles with sin. It's really hard for you to say, I'm addicted to pornography. It's really easy for people to say, hey, you know what, I, you know, I have some sin. You know, it's real hard to say, I'm a gossip and I tell lies. And, I, and I'm divisive. When we start, when we're humble, we can get very, very specific about our sin. And we can get very, very specific that God comes and he cleanses us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everybody's fine with being a sinner but nobody's fine with their specific sins. You can call me a sinner, but don't, 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 get, don't get too specific, okay? And the reality is we have to get specific. That's when we experience the true forgiveness and the repentance. In fact, it's easier for us to then, in, Rome, in James chapter five, when he says, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, that you would be healed. Some of us aren't healed from our sin that continually affects us over and over and over again because we won't confess it. And not just confess it to God, but we don't confess it to somebody else because we're so ashamed, because we have so much pride, because we're God and not trying to be like Christ. With Christ, he lived in transparency and honesty with his disciples. But we think we're God. Everybody's beneath us. I don't want to share this with them. Everybody wants to be God. No one wants to be Jesus. And therefore, we miss out on experiencing genuine repentance. Repentance is hating your sin as much as God does. 
It's recognizing that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. And it's not brokenness. People come in and I'm so broken. I'm so broken. Yes, yes you are. And this is what needs to happen. God needs to destroy that person. He needs to use me to do it. What does God say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Love your enemies. Remember, only God brings the vengeance. When you say you want the vengeance, when you say you want to be the instrument of God, I want to be the instrument of God for vengeance. What you're saying is you want to be God and not be like Jesus. What did Jesus do on the cross? Remember when he was hanging on the cross? He could have been the judge and jury. He could have been the one. What did he say? Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. That's the way that we're to example. Leave the vengeance to God. We're to forgive them. We're to love them. But I'm so broken. If you're broken, let it lead to godly repentance. Or if it's not your sin, but it's somebody else who sinned against you, let it lead to godly love. Find ways to love them. I'm not saying you have to be best friends with them. I'm just saying you have to love them. And what is it to love somebody? It's to, it's to serve them and to give them the things that God has called you to, to do. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Second thing is this. Humility brings, when, the second truth about humility is that humility brings compassion to lawbreakers. I already talked about this a little bit. Brings humility to lawbreakers. Those that are breaking the law, you want to be judge and jury. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, do not speak evil against another brother. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you, the judge, if you judge the law, you are a doer and not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? He's talking here to those that are, that are interacting with every day. And let me share something with us, church. This is what's happened to the church. We're so quick to point out everyone's speck in their eyes that we miss the log in our own. We're so quick to look at people and to want justice and to be God, the God's hand of justice, that we miss out that Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them if they don't know what they're doing. How many of you guys have heard the expression, love the sin, I mean, love the sinner, hate the sin? How many of you guys have heard that? Raise your hand. Do you know that's not in Scripture? That's nowhere in Scripture. In fact, the Scripture says something very different. And here in James, it it alludes to this. And, And I could take the Scripture and I could show you. But here in James, this is what, basically what James is saying is this. Love the sinner, hate your own sin. Stop saying, hey, I love the, because here's the deal. To a lost person, they identify themselves with their sin. And so for you to say you love the sinner but hate the sin, all they know is their sin. All they identify with is their sin. All they hear is you hate me. 
No, love the sinner, hate your own sin. Stop being the lawgiver and the judge. What are we to do with our neighbors here? What is that? Well, the Bible that I read says Jesus said, love your neighbors as you love yourself. It's the second commandment. We're so consumed with wanting to be right that we've forgotten how to love and examine our own selves because we are not humble. Humility brings this point of, God, I am in debt to you and you freed me from my sin. And now I'm gonna go around and point everybody else out and their sin so that maybe you could save them too. Is that what it says? No. Humility brings compassion to lawbreakers. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If you're humble, guess what? Hey, God's forgiven me a ton. He can forgive you too. It's, 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 like, the, it's like the man that in the subway and, it, he's, and he's already eaten and there's a guy begging for food and, and the guy comes over and he's another homeless man and he brings him food. And everybody sees it and they're like, why did you give him your food? He says, I already ate today. He hasn't eaten. We're so consumed with saving it for ourselves and keeping it to ourselves that we're not willing to share it. And we have the greatest message ever. It's the gospel. Jesus is God. He died on the cross for our sins. He bodily rose from the dead. And we should use this message not to beat people up with it, but to love them. So that they can experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness. The issue is we're not humble. That's what James is saying. Jesus was sought out by sinners. If you're here today and this is your first Sunday, listen, we love you and there's a place for you. And you know what? Yeah, you're a sinner. And I can go through and give you a list of your sins just like I can give you a list of my sins. And so guess what? We're all sinners. We all need the grace of God. We all need Christ. And you fit because you are. So look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right. Yep, they're sinners too. Yep, we're all together. Same boat. Woohoo! Yeah. We need Christ. We need compassion. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion. When Jesus saw Jerusalem, he wept over it, and he said, he said they, were like, they were like chicks. I wish I could gather you all like a, a mother hen grabs her chicks. No, there was compassion. Not condemnation, not justice. When you start fighting for justice, you're fighting to be God, not be Christ. No, justice is God's. So let's leave it there with him. Let's be Christ. Number three, humility gives us a Christocentric focus. What do I mean by that? I was talking about that earlier. Not a theocentric focus, not an egocentric focus, but a Christocentric focus. And a Christocentric focus is this. It's this idea 
that Jesus is the one who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave. And he's the one that we should fix our eyes upon, not ourselves. So not, not the things that we want or the things that we can do. Look at what James says here. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. So the Christocentric focus is really focused on this idea that it's not about what I think I'm going to do for God or what I think I'm going to go or what money I'm going to make or anything like that. That's an egocentric focus. A Christocentric focus is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, therefore, Hebrews 11, there's all these people. It gives kind of this hall of faith, okay? And then it gives a bunch of people that are really godly that are not even in there. But therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, Christocentric focus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, everybody wants to be God. No one wants to be Jesus. Or everyone wants to be Jesus after he died, rose again from the grave, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, we want that Jesus, not the suffering Jesus here. Not the submissive Jesus. No, Jesus is eternally submissive to the Father. That's the relationship of the Trinity. It's a beautiful relationship. But we don't want to submit. We don't want to submit. I don't want to submit. Humility gives us a Christocentric focus, and when we have that Christocentric focus, we can look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We don't have to live for our life to get what we can. If you win the rat race, you're still a rat. It's only Christ. The focus has got to be on Christ. And so therefore, nothing in this world crowds out Christ. It's Christ at the center, and everything in this world is in the peripheral. And the moment that I take myself, my eyes off of Christ, and I put them on the peripheral, and I've taken them off of Christ, what happens? It's the same thing when Peter got out of the boat, remember? As long as he was looking at who? Christ. He was walking on water. As soon as he looked away at the storm and the clouds and everything, he was like, "Uh uh-oh. What happened? He started to sink. It wasn't a Christocentric focus. He lost focus. Why? Because he got afraid. He was more concerned about what was happening there. Sometimes we're more concerned about pleasing man than we are about pleasing God. It's like that piano guy that played this incredible piece, and everybody stands up, gives him the standing ovation. Oh, you're the greatest, except the guy in the front row, and he's like, oh, man, that guy in the front row. And everybody's like, what? Who cares, man? Everybody loves you. The guy in the front row, so what? Some old guy, who cares? Yeah, but that was my piano teacher. That's the guy I was playing for. I don't care about everybody else. I just cared about the piano teacher. I wanted to make him happy. We're so consumed with the crowd that we miss out on the one, Christ. He's the one we should be living for. He's the one we should be playing for. So therefore, my time, talent, treasures, everything belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. It's his. 
Therefore, I can serve him and follow him all the days of my life with this Christocentric focus. Then finally, it's this, as, as it is, you boast, don't be a boaster in your arrogance. So if you think you're going to do this, you're just boasting in your own arrogance, and your own accomplishments. Humility brings right action. This is number four. Humility brings right action, not boasting. What's the next, the last truth about humility is it brings right action, not boasting, not, or, or boasting in the wrong things. What's the thing we're to boast in? Galatians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul gives it to us. Galatians 6.14. It says this. You can bring it up anytime. Far, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Humility brings right action, not boasting in the wrong things. The only thing we're to boast in is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. Because he is the one that has given us his grace, he's given us his forgiveness, he's given us his mercy. And because of that, therefore, all of a sudden, God looks and exalted him above, and given him a name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Let me define for you, let me wrap this up. Let me define for you the difference. So this should bring a godly confidence when we're living. There's a difference between confidence and cockiness. And I always heard was confidence is, is you're really, really good and you can back it up. Cockiness is you brag about yourself, but you're really not that good. That's what I always thought the difference between confidence and cocky was. Let me give you a biblical definition. Confidence is this, an ability to recognize that God is the hero of the story and deserves all the credit. It's God. God's the hero. So David and Goliath, we all go, I'm David. No, God's David. We're Goliath. We can work against God. Wait a second, Daniel in the lion's den. Wait, I'm Daniel. No, God's Daniel. You're the lion. Working against God. Wait a second, and it, here's the deal. If you're upset about what I just said, check your heart. Because all that should do is create a greater love and appreciation for God sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to invite me into his kingdom. Nothing but gratitude ought to be coming from that. Cockiness is an ability to get others to recognize that I'm at the center of the story and focus ends upon me. That all the focus and everything is upon me. That I'm at the center of the story. That it, it, it's, it's spiritual bragging with false humility. Yeah, God really did use me today. All praise and honor to God. Thank you. Thank you. It, 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 it's just like, it's like we're, 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 trying to, we're trying to be noticed. And this can be a spiritual thing or a not spiritual thing. Listen, one of the things is that... If you, I don't want God to oppose our church, and so therefore we need to be humble as a church because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But instead, we, we, we spiritually peacock. You ever seen a male peacock? There's a female that comes out, and then there's like four or five males that come out. Have you ever seen that? And they see the female, and then all the males go, Phew. and they show their feathers, and then they do the dance around her like, yeah. It's, it's, it's for real. You can watch it. 
and then they do this peacock thing. And you're like, yeah. And then the female goes, mm, I'm going to pick this one. And then she goes and mates with that one. And then the other peacocks, male peacocks are like, I got to go find another female. No, we spiritually peacock. Look at us. Notice us. Look at me. Pick me. Let me share something with you. If you're saved, God has already picked you. He's already picked you. He loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. He bodily rose from the dead. If you're here today and are not saved, he wants you. He loves you. Repent of your sins and be saved. Recognize that he's God, you're not. And humility, come to him and experience the true forgiveness of sins. Let me wrap this up. Here it is. Conclusion. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself the thinking yourself thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis. It, 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 so all those people that are false humility, I'm worthless, I'm stinky, I'm horrible. That's just false humility. Because who's at the center of that, 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 those statements? I am. It's still egocentric. It's just a reversed egocentric. I'm not doing well. I'm horrible. No. Look to the Lord and recognize how wonderful he is and that he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you and he accepts you just the way that you are and get a proper perspective of yourself. Let your ego die. Only the tragic loss of your ego is going to produce great fruit for the kingdom of God. God wants to use you. And not because it's you, but because it's him in you. And he's going to use you to change lives and to do more than you could have ever imagined. You know why? Because he knows that if you're truly humble, you're going to give him the glory and not take it for yourself. Because at the end of the day, God's all about his glory. He doesn't share it with anybody. As the worship team comes, where are you today? My challenge to you is this. Be humble. Be humble. Be humble. I don't know, I don't, I don't know what, I don't, how do you find that? Get a bigger God. Get a bigger view of God. See God for who he is and all his majesty and recognize that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and live eternally grateful to Jesus and exemplify Jesus in your life, not God. It's only through Christ. And so maybe, maybe today you need to come up here and you need to pray with somebody. We're going to have some people up here that would love to pray with you. Maybe today you're just, maybe God's convicted you today and you just need to, just need to reset. And the reset could just be you come up to these stairs and you get on your knees demonstrating because you don't care what anybody else thinks or even you yourself and what you think. And you just come up here and you just pray and you humble yourself and you say, God, I need you and I am so sorry for whatever. Get specific. God, I'm so arrogant. 
I'm so full of myself. And, you, and you've been opposing me. And God, I'm just asking for your grace. And I know that's only going to come when I humble myself. And so as best as I know how, I humble myself before you. Humble yourself on the side of the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't worry about the exaltation. That's God's job. Our job is to humble ourselves. Well, you don't understand. This person did this to me and this person did this to me. Everybody wants to be God. Nobody wants to be Jesus. What did Jesus do? He got on his face before God in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you want me to do because you sent me to do something and I'm here to do it. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, oof, I gotta do something. Maybe you just need to come up and pray. Maybe you need to come pray with somebody. Maybe you go to the prayer chapel in the back. I don't know. But do something. If you're maybe you need that reset, and, and we're gonna we're gonna sing in a few minutes. Spencer's just gonna play. We're just gonna play and have a quiet time for a few minutes, and then we're gonna close out with singing and we're gonna go from here singing. But humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. I promise, I promise, when you give God the glory for everything, as we as a church give God the glory for everything, it's not Pastor Sean, it's not me, it's not the elders, it's not any of that. It's not us, it's not this place. It's God, it's God and God alone. When he gets all the glory, guess what? He's going to do special things, and we're going to say, praise God, that's God, not Coastal. Praise God, it's God. It's all God. It's all his, all his, all his, all his. And the more blessing he gives, the more we continue to say, it's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. And then we get to fall down on our knees before God and go, God, I can't believe you included me. Because I know how sinful I am and I know how broken I am and I know how I continue to run after my sin even though I don't want to. But yet you continue to bless over and over and over again and you make me a part of something so special. And God, I can't believe it. All praise and honor to you, God. To you and to you alone. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. I just want to pray for us. God, we acknowledge you. We need you. We want you. You get all the praise. You get all the honor. You get all the glory. We're a mess, and we need you because you're the only one that is worthy of it, Lord. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to bodily rise from the dead. And we confess our dependency upon you. We confess our need of you confess how awesome and glorious you are, Lord God. I pray that you would call some people to come forward to pray. I pray, Lord God, you would call people to come and kneel at the steps and do business with you, Lord God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.